Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Level Up Human, the comedy science podcast, souping up the homo sapien. Welcome to Level Up Human! Hello, hello, and welcome to Level Up Human, the comedy science podcast panel show souping up the homo sapien. Each week we're joined by experts who will tell us how they think we should improve the species. Seated on my right, though, judging to decide what should go into the human body, we have our comedian resident, Rachel Wheelie. Hello! Rachel, can you tell us why are you... The, the kind of pinnacle human for pimping, for changing. Why are you the average human being? Well, I'm basically the optimal human, and so I've been put in charge of this uh, judging situation. You guys are going to come up with ideas for the next edition of The Human Body, and I'm going to decide whether I want what you've come up with in my body. Mm, perfect. And we're also joined by various experts to tell us how we could improve the human. Far on the far left here, we have Keith C.U., I loved Keith's biography because he was explaining that CU is pronounced CU and now that he's a doctor, he's the Dr. CU. So Dr. CU will see you. Is that what you're afraid of? Yeah. yeah. See you now, see you later. Um, can you tell us please actually what, what comes next now you've completed your PhD? What happens? So uh, I should be taking the Henry Welcome uh, Trust Fellowship uh, between Paris, London and Boston looking at a kidney function, trying to image it in 3D and... Uh, Poke it with tiny needles. So now that Brexit is happening, you decided this is the time for international collaborations and a yeah, difficult Yeah, an Irish citizen employed by UK University living and working in France. Uh, it's a bit of a mess at the moment. Perfect. And we're also joined by Dr. Gillian Forrester. <laughs> Gillian is an evolutionary and developmental psychologist at Birkbeck College London. You are doing a really cool thing at the Science Museum right now called the Me Human Project. Can you please fill us in? Because I know that you want bodies to come and help. <laughs> I'm doing a project called Me Human um, at the Science Museum, and it is a research project and a public engagement activity where we are looking at the way our brain and behaviors have biases like hand dominance, visual field dominances, ear dominances for different kinds of stimuli to better understand the way human cognition evolved over time 
time and also how it develops over time from infancy through to adulthood. Um, so we're testing a couple of thousand participants over the course of the summer to build probably the biggest database on behavioral biases and um, brain biases. So thousands of people. Actually, is there any way people can get involved? Can we give people instructions? Yeah, yeah. Really it's, 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 a, it's a free activity. You can just rock up to the Who Am I gallery at the Science Museum, come on in and do a set of experiments with our on-gallery scientists. So if you think you're worthy of research, go along. And we're also joined by our wild live studio audience here at the Barbican in London. <laughs> Now, we want you lot to get your thinking caps on as well, because as we go through this, we're going to hear your suggestions. If you've got any questions, stick your hand up just so we can get a microphone to you so we can record you. But remember also, we need your ideas for changing the human too. They're going to pitch. Rachel's going to decide what goes in the shortlist. You have a chance to pitch as well. Before we get into the far future and decide what the next stage of human evolution might be, each of our panel have brought along some news stories to show us exactly the weirdness that is happening right now. Can we start with you, Rachel? What has caught your eyes in the science news at the moment? Well, it's very exciting news that there is life on the moon. And we put it there. It turns out there are tardigrades on the moon because uh, a commercial probe went up there number of years ago, spilled tardigrades all over the moon. And now they're probably going to colonize the moon. I don't know. If you haven't heard of a tardigrade, it's a tiny little animal a millimeter long. And they're indestructible when they evacuate all the water from their bodies and they can stay in hibernation for up to a decade. So you can put them in space, you can put them under massive amounts of radiation, you can basically blow them up, chill them out, you can do whatever you want and they'll survive. Uh, and it turns out that they're on the moon. And what I discovered when I was looking into this is that NASA don't consider it a problem to spill things onto the moon because uh, the moon is not a populated planet. Satellite. Satellite, thank you. I'm not a scientist. You'll discover this in the course of the next 45 minutes. When uh, the Apollo astronauts landed on the moon, they left 96 bags of human waste there. I did not know that. She That's means apparently poo, by the way. fine. Yeah. There's 96 bags of poo on the moon, guys. That's the big news that I've uncovered this week. Does that mean that the tardigrades are going to be able to sustain themselves on this? Like, is there, on are the these poo? Things to, I yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's terrifying. I'm slightly concerned, though, that now there are thousands of tardigrades on the moon. Now you probably aren't allowed to leave poo on the moon. <laughs> yeah. Because now there's life there, so now it would be offensive to leave bags of poo on the moon. This has really gone downhill very, very quickly. <laughs> Normally it's very highbrow for at least 20 minutes, but not tonight. Apologies. Well, that's what the news is like. Julian, what have you brought along over you? What's caught your eye on the news today? Um, this is a, a study that was done, I think, uh, about six months ago. It's about recognizing faces, and we all know that humans are really good at recognizing faces and following eye gaze and all that sort of thing. And, and um, having studied developmental psychology, we know that this happens really early on, and babies from the first day of life are, are good at recognizing. They like faces. But there's been this new study that has actually looked at babies processing faces or reacting to faces when they're still in utero. So a scientist has come up with an approach where they just beam in like laser light in two eyes and a nose, just a triangle basically of dots. And they'd see if the babies turn their heads towards it or not. And they found that more often than not, babies preferred to look at the dots when they were upright like a face than if they were inverted, not like a face. Oh. And so the conclusion was that actually we are 
already tuned into face processing before we're born. And you don't need to have the experience of seeing faces to know what a face is because you're just born with that ability. So this means faces being recognized is not just a learned thing. We have an instinct right. as well. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what it's suggesting. It's an innate capability. I'm just imagining this like in a neutral rave if you've got lasers going into... <laughs> it's not like well, perfect. That's, that's the other thing that they found is like they thought that it would be quite hard to get you know, to, to get the light to shine through. And they found actually the uterine lining and the, the whole wall, the womb was far more transparent than they thought. So probably these babies in utero are, are getting a lot more stimulation than we thought. So they're probably seeing all sorts of things. It's only a matter <laughs> of time before you're going to be able to get something where you can beam your own face yeah. into your baby before it's born. So not only play your baby music, but also show it your face. Well, yeah, and then think of where Month that's going to go too. <laughs> If you're to do that and then you feel the baby kicking, do you feel you're being hit in the virtual head, though? I hope so, oh. frankly. <laughs> oh, cool. What about you, Keith? What have you brought along? Um, so the study I were looking at were um, in the Journal of uh, Clinical Science Investigation, looking at astronauts that were locked inside hermetically sealed chambers for 105, 205 days to measure salt and water balance, to look at long-term space flight. Mm -hmm. And they found that salt makes you not thirsty, but hungry which upturns decades and decades of our understanding of how water balance works in our body. But it does explain Pringles, doesn't it? It does, yeah. <laughs> I mean, salty food tastes good and you eat more of it as a result. So we used to think you eat salty food, you would drink more water, and they were measuring urine volume to determine this, but no one actually measured the amount of water intake. And now we know from studying them, taking anywhere between 9 to 12 grams per day of salt, that they're burning more muscle mass, they're eating more, about 20 to 30% more, and it can increase things like blood pressure. So what was really surprising to them was that the urine volume was always in, increased with salt intake. So we thought that people drank more, but when they measured the water intake, it stayed static. And actually the cells were breaking down themselves to release water to actually try and get rid of the salt and remain in balance. So it's caused this crazy so it's kind of thing. a good diet to... technique, eat lots of salt? Eat lots of salt. If you can maintain a static food intake, you'll lose maybe about 10% of your body weight. Yeah, so it could be. But it could easily go against you and eat 20 to 30% more. Is there any other downside of salt? Because like you're making it sound very attractive here. But what is bad salt? Basically? Sodium. So it's not really terrible. Uh, it's more about the ratio of sodium to potassium. So mm -hmm. potassium's good, sodium's bad. The Western diet we consider to be high in sodium, low in potassium. Mediterranean diet, or the DASH diet they call it, is high potassium, low sodium. So really that's the ratio that you want. But we shouldn't be eating any more than maybe five grams of sodium a day. So put salt on your banana and you're sorted. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Plenty of bananas, not too many. You can get potassium poisoning. I know, because this is a true fact. Peter Andre had to bananas. cancel a tour date for eating too many bananas. Yeah, they had to pump a stomach for potassium poisoning. 20 bananas in one go. I don't know why anybody would he do had, that. It's good to know what the upper limit is. <laughs> he had 20, yeah, 20. bananas. Yeah. Did you, you, it's about that, ran that number. Here was me throwing out what I thought was the strangest, randomest fact. And you, Are you a massive Peter Andre fan? How do you know this? <laughs> no. <laughs> Did you have... <laughs> No comment. There, there's no shame here. I'm sure Peter Andre has a fan. All right. We found it. We've, we have. So that's what's happening right now. Now we're going to shoot off into the far future. Our experts here are going to give us ideas. They're going to tell us what they would like to see in the next few minutes and perhaps how science might help make that. Before we get there, Rachel, can you give them some advice? How could these people pitch to you? What kind of thing are you hoping to hear from them? I would like to hear how we can have more backups in our bodies. 
more backups in your bodies. Yeah. I don't think it's enough that we have two kidneys. I think we should have two of other things. Like we should have uh, multiple hearts, maybe a backup liver. I could do with a backup you liver. You want to be a time, lord for a time lord of drinking. Yeah. Why not? I think that would be great. I just want some resilience, essentially. Uh, I feel very... I've just been to the Edinburgh Festival for two weeks. I'm feeling quite vulnerable and sad. <laughs> so, I don't um, know how you get a backup ego, though, after that bruising. No, well, quite. I mean, if you can provide me a backup ego, that would be fantastic. All right. And also, ladies and gents, bear in mind, you have a chance as well. So think of how you're going to pitch to Rachel. Can we start with you to that end, in that case, Keith? Because yeah. I think you might be able to impress Rachel very yeah. much. But funny you mentioned kidneys. So we have a lot of redundancy already. I mean, you can lose up to 80% of your liver and it will grow back. 80%? 80%. Okay, great. All you need I is think, 20% and you can I regenerate from that. Yeah. So cut a chunk out and store it in the fridge. Kidneys, you have two. Each mm-hmm. one contains about a million nephrons. They're the functional units that filter your blood and create your urine. You can lose up to 75% of them and still be fine. So there's a lot of redundancy there already, huh. but why not a bit more? So... Why not six kidneys? Why not the ability to regenerate them? So that would be my pitch, which would be increase, particularly the kidneys, the amount that we have. So if we have two, why not three, why not four, why not five? Because as you get older, that kidney function drops off a cliff edge slowly, and we get something called chronic kidney disease. And eventually that leads to things like fatigue, high blood pressure, blood in your urine, and it can go eventually to chronic kidney disease and failure. And you'll need a transplant or you go on dialysis. So if we can get extra kidneys, we'd be able to donate them around or just turn on the backup. I mean, this sounds like we've had a conversation beforehand yeah. now, doesn't it? And actually, <laughs> we, we absolutely haven't. I didn't know you were going to say that. So, so six, how many? Six? Six, why not six? Six kidneys, cool. And then you could maybe donate a couple. Yeah, it's, donate a couple. If you like it. Yeah. Pinch it? a few off, otherwise you won't, you know, drinking alcohol, it'll go through your system Put too quickly. Put a few, like, in a, in a drawer for another day some nights. It's strange to ask, like, so the range we have our kidneys arranged is that they're, they're basically symmetrical, more or less. They're slightly off, but yeah, basically but we, We've got there. two, and that's not the case for, for all organs. So, can you explain why? Because I've always wondered this, like, why did the liver, for instance, end up being lopsided and not have pairs, and we have a pair of kidneys? Um, to be honest, I don't know the answer for that. I do know it's to do with derms, the layers, when it's developing. Um, it splinters off um, the aorta, which is the main blood vessel in the abdomen. splits off into two different directions, and they just seem to grow from there. But I don't actually know why we have two. I mean, not all organisms do, either. And they're drastically different depending on the environment that they're in. So an amphibian like a frog or a fish has quite an underdeveloped kidney, whereas something like a kangaroo rat or a camel has a super developed one to be able to concentrate, retain lots of water and get very concentrated urine. So they don't even need to drink water to survive. They just get it from their diet. So kangaroo rats don't have to drink at all and they've got amazing kidneys as a result. Yeah. But is two still the upper limit? You say there's something's a one or is there anything out there that's already a proof of concept for your pitch, I'm guessing? I mean... We know from the data that we can just chop a kidney out and you still do perfectly fine. So you don't need it. But then again, evolution never really kind of cared about what you need or don't need as such. It just kind of is whether it's useful to passing on your genes. Okay, so let's interrogate this a little bit more. You want more kidneys or more everything? I'm mainly for the kidneys, but I mean, you mentioned the liver earlier. Why not one of those as well? More livers. Two livers, six kidneys. That's okay, two livers, six kidneys. I like that. But that's, that's so, good. So the next question to that, because because the other part of this is I'm aware of kidneys as being one of the most donated and most donatable of the organs. Why do they keep going wrong in that case? What does what makes a kidney vulnerable? So the kidneys are where you're concentrating stuff. So if you're taking medications, drugs, 
the concentration in your blood might be therapeutic, but that might get a hundred times concentrated in your kidney and cause damage. Mm-hmm. High blood pressure tends to it, blood sugar levels as well. So diabetes and blood pressure tend to be very prevalent in society. It's like one in three people over the age of 25 have high blood pressure. And over time, that damages the kidneys. As if there's lots of redundancy, that 25% is all you really need to function. But over your lifetime, as we get older and older and people are yeah. living longer, we're starting to eat into that kind of 25%. And that's when you start seeing problems. It is the most donated organ. It's the one that you're more likely to be on a waiting list for and die from waiting on a list. And then even if you go on dialysis, the survival is very poor. After 10 years, survival is maybe 30%. So we're in really, really high demand for kidneys at the moment. So So having more to start with would be a good thing. Yeah, and get to know people who are the same blood type as you. (laughs) (laughs) Is 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 it true that aluminium is deposited in your kidneys from ibuprofen? Or is this a myth? Um, I'm going to go with a myth. Okay, Aluminium, that's good because I'm an avid user. <laughs> ibuprofen is a, is a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. To my knowledge, it doesn't contain any aluminium well, that, that's within. That's good. I'm relieved. And if it is, it's only an excipient to kind of go in there. But I mean, you're probably getting more aluminium from like cooking on tinfoil than you are from ibuprofen. Um, if anything, they suspect it for Alzheimer's rather than for uh, kidney function. Okay. Though we did used to have problems with lithium, 7-Up. 7-Up used to have lithium in it. Is that why it fizzes? That's where the up came from, because it used to treat lithium for uh, depression. Coca-Cola had cocaine. All these drinks used to be drugs. Have they got worse? (laughs) (laughs) No, because they're not as fun. What is in my Fanta that I need to know about? (laughs) Nothing. Nothing that we need to worry about. That's good. Iron Brew surely must have something in it to be that colour. The Scottish secret, I don't know. It doesn't have iron. That's a remarkable thing. Yeah. I think it's incredible stuff, though. I always say it's, 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 um, it's you might notice it's spelled brew, B-R-U, rather than brew, because it's, it's not a drink. It's more like a kind of fight in a can, you know, if you can imagine it. Anyway, look, Rachel, is this on the shortlist? 100% on the shortlist, yeah, I love that. Nice one. So, Gillian, you're up against it. Oh, dear, okay. What's your pitch? Please impress Rachel. Um, well, so I've already told you a little bit about faces in humans, um, and that we're, we're really tuned into them from the first days of life, and babies right after birth will prefer their mum's face to other objects. Um, and and we've, we've heard that we might even be able to uh, already process faces before we see any. And then there's a lot of research uh, to show that there's potentially like these universal facial expressions that people have. So sad, happy, angry, disgust, surprise. And these seem to be universal across all human cultures. And there was a big debate between Paul Ekman, who studied faces in the 70s, and the Darwinian theory of whether or not these facial expressions are evolutionarily older than humans, or if they are just for all humans, and if they would change based on different human cultures. And so studies were done to see if kind of tribes in Papua New Guinea who had no experience of of what Western culture had, whether or not they would also express the same ones. And if they did, then we could say actually... These things are a little bit older and, and not necessarily unique to humans. And the result was, yeah, they, they had the same sort of universal expressions for sad and happy and, and angry. Is it weird uh, to example. ask, is there, is there any exceptions? Like, is there a British face? If I look into the audience right now, like, what is, what is unique to certain cultures? Are there but any like, expressions well, which aren't universal? Yeah, I don't know. Is there like different cultural bitchy resting faces or something? Try it. Everybody, give it one go. <laughs> I mean, I'm seeing a lot of resting British face. Resting Rest British there. face. <laughs> what about uh, the intent behind it? So, for example, cultural difference. If you go to America and waiter serving you, they will smile even though they hate you. 
right? That's deception, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> they need tips, though. I mean, that's just tips, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but they'll smile, and you know that they hate you because it's not all about the face, is it? The face gives an expression, but the posture also tells a story. Is it true there's something with the eyes when you smile? Like a real smile, you can tell by the eyes. There's a crinkling or something. I would, like yeah, definitely. The musculature around the eyes. If, if the eyes don't move, I think we were watching Terminator the other night, <laughs> and they tried to make Arnold Schwarzenegger smile as a Terminator, and he was trying to take in information about a smile and model it, and all he got was the mouth. And it looks ridiculous when people smile, and it's um, just the mouth and not the eyes. If they can't make him act, they can't make him smile. I mean, that's very ambitious. And I hate to tell you, Keith, they, they're always genuinely smiling at me. This must be a personal thing. But anyway, hold on. Let's get into okay. this, Gillian. Okay, so we think there are genuine, universal human facial expressions. Yeah. What's your pitch related to this then? Well, well, so if all humans have them and you don't need experience of seeing them to have them, then surely it's older than just humans and animals are doing these universal facial expressions as well. So surely we should be able to interpret those and we should be able to know what our animals are thinking based, or at least what they're feeling based on what their facial expressions and body postures are. So I think we should level up to an innate knowledge of mental states of animals. So you want to be a Dr. Nice. Doolittle, not for talking to the animals, but for smirking at them or something. Well, well look, you can find out more about a person's state of mind from the way they're looking at you and the posture they're holding sometimes than actually what they're verbally telling you. So if you look at your dog and it, you know, you can tell it's pissed off. It is actual resting right? bitch face, of course, in this or case. That. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't that be nice to kind of like be able to have that sort of communication link? without having to second guess what it is. So what is this for, though? Because if your dog looks pissed off, what it means is, so you can then, you feed you me? Can, yeah. I mean, I think we've already got that, haven't we? <laughs> Where is the level up here? What's, I think, the, what's I the benefit think to understand The idea animals? would be that if you had a better idea of what the emotional state was of the animals, you would maybe be more empathetic, maybe want to connect with them more, maybe be more pro-social... Um, we might have some conservation rules put in place. More likely to be vegan. Maybe, yeah, more likely to be vegan. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, just, I just think that we get so much out of human faces. In fact, our eyes have changed over evolutionary time. We've got the white backgrounds with the colored front so that we can track people's attention and where they're looking and understand their motivations better. Other animals don't have that. We've developed that over time. Um, and so I, I think... There, there's something in there where, where we so, could tune in better. This is fascinating. So what we're saying is people with more whites to their eyes are better understood. Well, no, we all have white backs to our eyes, but yeah. other animals don't. So we've got... Over a, time, we, over the time. ones with more whites to their eyes were better understood and survived. Yes. And hence, we have white eyes where other animals don't. Yeah, because they're like targets. And you can follow the direction of attention. So you can work out what people want. So your dogs and your cats could, you know, give more information to you. If, if we... <laughs> I'm losing the pot here, aren't I? <laughs> no, no. I'm, I'm, intrigued I'm just also. trying to work out where it gets us to. Like, I want... I mean, I can see why I need backup kidneys. Like, that's, you know... And, a, and an extra liver or two sounds like a great idea. Why do I need to understand my dog better? Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. I don't even know if I understand humans better because of facial expression. That's the thing. I don't know. Am I the only one that wants to know what the animals are thinking? I want to know what the animals let's, let's are thinking. Let's have an audience vote. By whooping, do you want to know what the animals are thinking? Oh, they do. They do. By whooping, are you going to eat them anyway? <laughs> eat the happy ones. <laughs> they probably taste better. Is, is that more cruel, actually? Yeah. If you eat the happy ones or if you put others out of their misery? This but is I mean, a good isn't question. Isn't there the whole kind of Japanese care where they give it a good life and massage it to make it like better tasting meat. So if you knew that they were happier and having a good life, this is like that Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy animal that was bred to want to be eaten and was like, here, have my flank. It's delicious. That would be very scary indeed. You're right, because they feed it beer as well. So it's just drunk. It's not happy. It's a very, well, I suppose the two things can be related. I think I need to change tact and I need to go for the backups now. What's up to you? It's up to you for this. I don't know. I'm not sure that was well received. Can you back up facial expression? Ah, no, no, at the backup pitch that has the backup. You can't have the backup pitch. I'm really sorry. I'm sorry I hate your idea. <laughs> I'm really sorry I hate your idea. I just, I, at the moment, I'm, I'm at a loss as to how this helps the entire species. Um, uh, empathy, building empathy. It helps empathy. other species. I mean, it helps yeah, yeah, everything yeah. else if we're not going to eat any uh, animals anymore. Yeah, it could be the, you know, the, the pivot point for, for solving climate global change. warming. Maybe there we a, go. It ends up still being a very one-sided relationship because we can read their facial expression and they can't read ours. Oh, Except dogs. <laughs> dogs are pretty good at it. Dogs, yeah, dogs can read human emotions quite well. In fact, they we point, they're the only species that will not look at our finger but look where we're pointing. That's not quite true <laughs> because they've discovered some really cool corvids, some members of the of the oh, crow family. The magpies, Which ravens. pretty much do the same thing. Um, it's partly also because they do it themselves. So they, jack, reckon, they recognize faces. Well. Pointing. Yeah, I know. I know. Corvids recognize faces. There was some group that captured a few of them and did some experiments, released yeah. them, and then they got attacked for ages until they start wearing masks to go into the university. Yeah, but but most of the pointing we do isn't with an index finger anyway. It's with our eyes and our our bodies and our the way we orientate ourselves. Mm. On the basis that this could solve climate change. I'm yeah. going to put it on the short list, but I'm not, oh, <laughs> I'm not I'd 100% already, convinced. I'd already put it's an X on my notes, out. and I'm going to, yeah, it's in. All right, can we give our guest a huge round of applause? <laughs> but 
Audience, you've made your life hard here in that case. What are your pitches? Can you do anything better than these two people? Put your hand high up in the air. I'm going to bring this microphone to you. If you wouldn't mind, please tell us what your name is and then tell us what your idea for changing the human is. My name's Kat. Uh, Kat Chamberlain. Hello, Kat. Hi. Being a vegan, I love the idea, I'm sorry. But <laughs> I think I'll go a little bit along the same way towards animals. But I'm wondering if we can regain, I don't maybe, some of the senses that other animals do possess, that mm -hmm. uh, maybe dogs' sense of smell. And then without changing our physics too much, like I may want to fly, but... I may need wings, then forget that. So maybe, maybe just like a hearing and then just five senses to start with. So and which, other abilities, I run faster so without all, changing our legs. Or, oh, oh, we don't have five senses. No, I'm so sorry. I'm five. not a scientist. So How many senses right do we have? About 14, maybe more. Hang on, hang on. Close what? your eyes and wow. touch We your have nose. to just pause here just for one second. How, what, what are the 14 senses So you have the have? standard sight, hearing, taste, smell, touch. You close your eyes, touch your nose. How do you know where your body is? Proprioception. So you have receptors in your tendons, your ligaments that can tell you where you are. You can tell the time. Close your eyes. An hour can pass, a minute can pass. You can tell that. Temperature, a chemo sensation when you hold your breath. How do you know when to breathe? Your body can sense carbon dioxide buildup. We even think that there's something called the gravitostat. So your bones have cells that actually are an internal weighing scales and maintain your body weight. Uh, so we know people who sit down more versus stand more, accounted for calorie intake, will have differences in body weight. There may even be evidence that we have an electromagnetic sense. And so we know that if you put people in a Faraday cage, which isolates uh, the Earth's magnetic field, they 30% will respond to changes in electrical fields around them, like a compass. And we know there's languages that exist in the Amazon rainforest called cardinal languages. So they don't say, this is to my left, this is my right. They would say, this is west, this is east. And it doesn't matter where they are, they can instinctively tell the actual direction. How was that not your pitch that we all get that? Because we already have it. I don't. <laughs> and I should also point out, on the way to the recording, Keith got lost. <laughs> so I don't use it very well. <laughs> I spent a number of years thinking that whichever way I was pointing was north, so... <laughs> <laughs> the North Star. I'm pretty ashamed about that. <laughs> I'm, I'm intrigued by this because actually, so I can I check here, Kat? So your pitch is actually not that we change any of our senses or we get anything extra, but we just turn everything up that perhaps we could have that kind of sense of direction. Better smell, better sound, better... Have we got a word for that one? For which for the, one? This sense of direction thing was magnetic? Electromagnetic sensation. So it's the same as like hammerhead sharks or pigeons would have for sensing magnetic fields. There's like tiny little magnetic crystals inside the human brain and we think they're actually responding to magnetic field changes. So you want to just, would you like everything to be tuned up a bit more? Yeah, yeah. And uh, high intelligence of some of the animals. <laughs> cool. What do you think, Rachel? Is this on the... Um I'm, I'm worried this is a bit vague. I would like more. I, I would like more specificity about what exactly turning up all our senses is okay. But can we choose one in particular that you want to pimp up to eleven, maybe twelve? Of course, I also have a sense of style, as you can tell. Simon's sense of style is already turned up to eleven. Thank you. I've only seen that T-shirt twenty-seven times before. <laughs> can we give Kat a huge round of applause? Hey! Okay. And we'll move on to our next suggestion. It was another suggestion from you, sir. Would you mind please tell us what your name is and what your idea is? Right, my name's Ash, and I don't like pain. So I'm wondering 
why can't we just have a manual override to get rid of that? That is literally the worst idea I've ever heard. Like, um, like childbirth, right? I get it. After the first five minutes, it's painful. Why do you need to be reminded for the rest of the journey? You know? Oh, okay. That's just, better. Just basic things. I mean, I, I, I hit my knee on the table. Right, okay. Table there. Don't hit it. Do I need to feel pain for the okay, next 30? Okay, but Ash, right, what I would like to ask you is, can you manually override your, your brain's wanting to manually override your pain receptors? If you really hurt yourself <laughs> and you have the ability to turn that off, you're just going to turn it off. It's like a snooze alarm on your, on yeah, your phone. Yeah, uh, You're never going to feel pain again and you're going to damage yourself, man. So, like, yeah, I'm no, not I'm sure really about this. Me. Come on, what, give point. me a better reason. I don't, I don't know. I just don't like So, like, if you have a journey. paper cut, why do you have to sit with that for 12 hours type thing? Yeah, I mean, maybe if it was a manual, you could turn it off just in specific areas. Like, okay, just ignore this little thing in my toe that's hurting, you know? So maybe if the pain is a one out of ten, yeah. you can just knock it off after a bit. Isn't that what mindfulness and meditation activities can do for you as well? There you go. Ooh. Mindfulness meditation <laughs> activities <laughs> like is all you need there, Ash. Bring down um, your cortisol levels. And does, or work. a painkiller. Is mind over matter good enough for pain? Can you tell us anything about what pain oh, actually is? I'm, I'm, I'm the wrong person to ask for that. Uh, but, but definitely, we know we can bring down our parasympathetic nervous system by taking our breathing down and concentrating on decreasing the breathing rate, which will relax the body, which will make pain not feel as severe. But no, it's not going to maybe eradicate it entirely. Okay, so so I think there we go. You've got meditation. Uh, you just need an app, I think, is what you need. So that's totally fine. Um, but thank you very much indeed, Ash, for that brilliant suggestion. Oh, I'm being very mean to the audience today. I've, I've never heard the suggestion, can we get, get rid of pain? And the answer is, be a hippie. You'll be fine. That has never... <laughs> that's never been a solution for anything. Ah, oh, we've got some suggestions over here. Hi, I'm Matt. It's kind of similar, but kind of different. I'd like to turn my brain down. I'd like to be able to lower my IQ and raise it at will. That's a brilliant idea. I love that. So when I'm at work, exactly. I could be like minimal, bare minimum. I mean, many of you will think, Rach, you're already doing that. We can see that very clearly. Sort of like minimal level so that you're doing the job, but you're not overthinking the job. Just so you know, I work in PR. This is very important for me. <laughs> right. Sometimes you just have to glaze your eyes every hour of every and day and just carry on having the conversation that you're having i i just instinctively love this that's brilliant yeah that's on i think the other cool thing here is well for a start partly surely this is what booze already does arguably but also like you might be able to really enjoy hollyoaks like, <laughs> like think of how many other pleasures you could have if you could just disengage a little bit for a little while it, <laughs> why in pr I did a degree in philosophy. <laughs> so, Rachel, is this on the shortlist? Uh, this is definitely on the shortlist. I'm going to call this adjustable IQ. Adjustable <laughs> IQ. Yep, that's brilliant. Love it. Can we give Matt a huge round of applause? <laughs> I'm intrigued. Why? What does it say about us as people that we all wanted to adjust downward when with the opportunity there of making ourselves smarter... I don't. What was great <laughs> I don't think I can be smarter. I think I'm pretty Isn't much... Isn't there the link pretty much the higher the IQ, the more depressive people become as well? Is that true as a psychologist? Can you tell us? Uh, gosh, well, I'm not a clinical psychologist, but, but I think the anecdotal evidence is that the more you become aware of your surroundings and, and the, the facts of the world and the news and the events, 
you know, th there is more possibility to be open to all the things that are going on and therefore you're, you're going to be overwhelmed with, with the amount of information and the negativity around surrounding it. The futility of life. Like, I don't know who did the philosophy degree. Matt, Matt should know. <laughs> Matt's, Matt's gone. Matt's just oh, he's upstairs crying from the balcony now. But if you, if you have a very high IQ, what you can also do, presumably, is you can work out that all the inputs in your life are making you sad and you can just turn them you off. You can, but then you probably don't have the resources to be able to make the changes that you want to make because they're at a more global level. Well, so, yeah. How do we go for our ambition, everyone? From now on, we'll be hippies and we'll all try to be just stupid enough. That's our aim. <laughs> it should be a, a sweet spot, I guess. A sweet spot of Odyssey. Maybe two pints. Maybe that's what you need, Matt. That's the answer. Three. Three <laughs> pints. Three pints at all times. Great. Thank you, Matt. That's great. This lady's been waiting patiently. Can we go for one more? One more. Go for it. Yep. Uh, my name is Rena, and I may have got confused with a question, but I know that so far the improvements have been to the body, which I believe is just an exquisite piece of work that we've not really fully understood yet. So my proposal is that seeing as we train a lot of like not as sophisticated machines to be artificially intelligent by making them play games a lot, chess master and all sorts. Would we not level up by its very title as humans if we played more games? As in, it was really part of our daily rituals or curriculum or work and play that it's not just something that little kitties do and learn how to do Lego blocks, but that we play a lot of games so that we improve ourselves in a variety of ways. That's I it. think that's a great idea. It's not really redesigning the human body, but maybe, I mean, so you're saying like the brain has like a, a drive to play games and, and so therefore we do every day. I think we do have that drive though, the playfulness. I think it just gets... Like, so um, amp up the playfulness. Yeah, a little kind of like um, it gives us endorphins or, or something by doing it, which I think it does anyway. I think but, it already does. But yeah. the thing is like the idea that it doesn't, like the whole augmenting it, it's like when we are exposed to environment or, or nature, I think it just like, it does do something to our bodies. So leveling up, not like naturally what happens to the body, but when we experience, say, a game or a better game or better games, it creates synapses and So then we're all going to become addicted to chess. Or, you know, intelligent human beings that we've been trying to recreate artificially. I think but most more, of these games are most satisfying when you're playing them with other people versus playing them against a machine. So what you're doing is you're creating cooperative cohesion between groups, creating bonds, and that's where the endorphins come from. Usually that's the chemical release. Um, so yeah. you want more pro-social behaviors, which leads me back to understanding your pets. <laughs> right. <laughs> also... I mean, isn't, isn't everyone already doing this? Gamification? Isn't that the whole market right now, is to turn everything into a game? We have to go back to Rena because she just did a proper <laughs> I take a breath. What have you got against gamification? There's a whole thesis probably on that one. Um, yes, there's gamification and instrumentalization of games. I think it's more like a, there's games as a, as a noun, as a product, and then there's play as a verb of what we do, and, and those two are intertwined. So um, it's not about mechanics or metrics, but what Professor, like, <laughs> or Jillian, like I said, is that it's, it's the interactivity. It's how we play well together with other people and how we really need more of that. We say that games do exist to get vilified for shooting people, et cetera, et cetera, you know, but it's not about the games. It's not about the play. It's the mindful 
sorry, the game, uh, the gaming mind, the playful mind, but in relation to each other. So if we have a drive that kind of reminds us like, ooh, I haven't played today or something. Yeah, yeah. And we see it in all of our animal cousins too. We see it in our great apes. You know, they they spend a lot of time playing and it's practice also for the real world, but it's also building these these social bonds. I'm not having this one. I'm sorry. I'm I'm just, (laughs) no, because I, I might spend like loads of time playing Ludo. Or something. It would just be awful. So I'm sorry. It's a good idea, but I'm just no. I can't spend that much time tiddly winking my knife away. I thought there's because actually Monopoly was originally developed to try and teach of the evils of capitalism, and instead it just makes you fight with your relatives at Christmas and cheat and cheat. Yeah. You've just confessed there. No, no, no. Well, my my family members were keen cheaters and uh, I think it just taught people how to, well, one, think laterally, use deception, but it did prepare you for the real world in many ways. Isn't that sad? sad. All right, can we please give Rina a huge round of applause? So, before Rachel gets to choose... As an evolutionary biologist myself, I've been looking across Mother Nature to see if she's got any proof of concept out there for us. So, each week, I bring along a creature that I think we could steal from. This week, I think we should nick something from this. Rachel, can you please describe it to our listeners at home? It looks like a mole with a nose that has been split into 12 different tentacles. Pretty much spot on. This is what we call a star-nosed mole. And that is the most sensitive touch organ known on any mammal. Um, And I've also just been thinking, like, right now I've got a pen behind my ear. I could carry, like, a whole Sharpie kit with that. Wouldn't it not be great to have something so dexterous and good at feeling on your face as that? Or basically anything that sensitive anywhere. Wouldn't it be fab? (laughs) But do the nose bits actually move? They do. In fact, they they kind of direct them around. They're they're kind of more like a replacement for our eyes. So in our eyes, for our colour vision, we've got a thing called a fovea, where you've got your highest concentration of neurons receptive to light. They've got a high concentration of ones receptive to touch. They've been testing them to see how sensitive to touch they are, and they've passed every single test. We haven't been able to create a threshold low enough that they've not passed. That's the most sensitive organ of the mammal. How have they tested? I'm really confused by this idea. What do you mean they've tested (laughs) the nose? They've tickled some moles. They tickled? Well, (laughs) how does that work? Like you put some food in the the, the, the other side of the room and and the mole's like, I can get to it straight away. And it zooms over and it can do that like really far. Or I don't understand how this testing works that they've done. So pretty much if they were able to like touch it with something like a hair, it would recoil or move. It is sensitive to like the oh, lowest level. So of you like of. you tickle it a lot and it and it and you see whether it's noticed yeah. the tiniest little just single changing the threshold and seeing. Right. How okay, now I understand. Now I understand. <laughs> okay, okay, cool. So if we had that I would be like, ah, and you'd go, Rach, what's up? And I'd be like, there's a molecule that's really bothering me just here. <laughs> but, but how cool and is it to have that many independent articulators? Like that's, <laughs> like we've got fingers, but. Do we have to have it on our nose though? Well, <laughs> it's not the prettiest. What are you suggesting, Keith? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing so new to create. Okay, so that, that was another option for a leveling up of human. I know I'm not allowed to have a backup pitch, 
No, but, but okay, tell us more. You're trying to just squeak but in I'm the backup squeak, pitch. Go on. Go on. Well, what, you're, what you're actually doing is you're defending me here because you're saying my idea is great. What's so good about <laughs> having more articulators? What is an articulator? So, so articulators are, are digits that can move and um, operate fine motor activities like our fingers. So human hands are one of the most sophisticated articulators that any mammal has because we can do this pincer grip thing and we're the only ones that we know that can do pad to pad with some force, which allows us to manipulate objects really in a sophisticated manner and it's made humans really, really good tool users. So much so that we probably think that our original language was in the hands and then had to move somewhere else because we got to be really good tool users and there was competition for the hands. And so our feeding hole became an articulator as well, because most animals don't use their mouths to talk. They just use it to eat, and maybe they can make some squawks. But we have really good articulating mouths. Is this partly where kissing comes in, then? Are we articulating on each other? Ooh, it's, well, that's exchange that's, that's, of hormones. Yeah. You can sense Ooh. testosterone levels, estrogen levels, and exchange of saliva, and whether you're compatible mates. And so they- imagine kissing a mole. Come on. <laughs> I, I'm not sure this is a leap that anybody else is making. So. <laughs> but, but, but they've got the extra articulators. It would be cool if we had some more articulators yeah. too. On our face. Like or maybe like coming out of our earlobes or something. They could like hold your hair up or do your makeup or, you know. That would be quite cool. Unfortunately, it's too late now to put that in because I've already decided that your original idea is like mostly rubbish. So <laughs> I'm not going to win this back. <laughs> I think we're out of time apart from anything and, else. Well, okay, we? so, so we're not going for this though. No to the mole nose. I haven't heard a good enough reason why it's Fine. important. So your Sorry. short list is pretty short. You have either <laughs> Keith's idea of just N number kidneys, having yeah, more fair. backups, You've got Julian's idea of being able to read the facial expressions of other animals, or you have Matt's... Did you go for Matt's adjustable pain? Yeah, that's on the short list. That's the only other thing that is. Oh, no, adjustable intelligence, sorry. Yeah, adjustable Yeah, adjustable intelligence, not adjustable pain, because I know what I'd do with that, uh, and I'd be <laughs> irresponsible with it. So um, I love adjustable IQ. That's brilliant, but I did say what I was looking for was backup organs, and then you only went and pitched back up organs. So I don't really know how that happened. And I feel like it's kind it's a of paper trail. rigged the episode <laughs> horribly. But uh, I'm going to go for six kidneys, two livers, please. <laughs> Thanks very much. Can we please give both Matt and Keith a huge round of applause? So thank you, Rachel. We'll go and install that into you around the back, give you your extra kidneys, see what you can do with them. Before we go, though, we have to thank Keith to you. Gillian Forrester, Rachel Wheely, The Barbican for hosting us, and the Physiological Society for helping fund these things. I've been your host, Simon Watt. Thank you and good night. That was Level Up Human. Hosted by Simon Watt, produced by Rachel Wheely, and supported by the Physiological Society. For more information, go to leveluphuman.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.